Welcome to Babble of a Bruise. Deep thoughts for men over time and text. I'm coming at you, Aaron Crew Juice Favorka, and I've got Sam. Sup? I've got Keith. Hey. I've got Gumby. Hola. And I've got Theo. Hello. <laughs> We're going to be talking about Ukraine and its crisis. But first, starting with a nice wine. So this one comes to us actually from a nonprofit to support the survivors of Ukraine. Mm. So, when Ashton and Miller launched their Stand with Ukraine GoFundMe campaign, they said we were proud, inspired, and prepared to do all we could to support the cause. We temporarily pivoted all profits for their outside wine to directly support our 100k donation to their campaign. They're surpassing 30k and not stopping with companies, partners, and friends matching. We're banding together to meet milestones daily. Um, I bought this one from Knocking Point. So the idea for this winery first began in May 20, uh, I'm sorry, 2012 when Stephen and Andrew embarked on a road trip from L.A. to Oakland to watch a Blue Jays game for Stephen's birthday. Three hours into the trip, Andrew, who had grown up in wine country, easily convinced Stephen, who had never been to a wine region before, to make a quick stop in Paso Robles to taste some wine. Stephen's first ever wine country pit stop turned into a 48-hour wine bender that included visiting over a dozen wineries, making a bunch of new friends, and eventually wrapping up at a dockside party on a private lake built smack dab in the center of picturesque rolling vineyards. As they drove away, Stephen looked over at Andrew and asked, Hey man, how do we do do this all the time? And for those who don't know, they're talking about Stephen Amell, who played the Green Arrow on the CW. This is his wine company. <laughs> when you started saying like a three-hour drive, I was dead convinced you were going to end with, and after a three-hour drive, he convinced him to buy a wine winery site unseen. <laughs> <laughs> three-hour tour. <laughs> so let's crack this sucker open because I've actually wanted to try this wine for a very long time and featured on our podcast. And uh, the fact that they're sponsoring this to help the survivors of Ukraine gave me the best excuse ever to do it. Ooh, look how rich that looks. We don't we don't need many excuses to do this. <laughs> this is a good one. Oh, look at that. It's got this beautiful burgundy purple hue to it. That is so nice. It's thick. It's got some decent body to it. Ooh. Can you smell that? It has this like rich, rich, like chocolatey, velvety fragrance to it. You shouldn't, but you could definitely gulp that. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, that's delightful. That's actually so. It's it's not a uh, a sweet wine, but it is a little bit sweet. It has yeah. it has a, a dry overtone to it, but it's definitely a sweet wine. It's uh, I would t- put it as like almost like a sweet burgundy. Mm. Mm. It's good. Yeah, it's a good wine. That is excellent. Thanks, Stephen. I would definitely talk politics over that wine, for sure. Oh, good. Okay, then you're in luck. (laughs) Why? There's nothing going on. (laughs) 
ever. Ever. Nothing to see here. All right, I'm going to shoot my slideshow over for these guys. So here's the first map so you guys can see. Um, so as you could tell, Russia, obviously, is uh, the preeminent authority sitting next to Ukraine. Um, and NATO sits right next to Ukraine. So there is a game going on right now where uh, Russia is trying to regain its authority. Hold on. Who's that little blob over past, just past the blue little red blob? Oh, oh, that's actually owned by Russia. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. I have no if freaking I clue. Correctly. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll be speechless for the rest of the show. Dang. Mind blown already. Proceed. <laughs> um, I do have a quick rundown, but we're not going to go over it at the moment, but we can reference it if we need to. So under under this slideshow, there's a full timeline of going all the way back to the beginnings of Ukraine. But I pulled this report because this is really cool. What does Putin want? All right. So if you look right here. All right. Why does... Why? Wait, did he post that? Like what he wants? Is that... He posted it? Oh, this is this comes from, from a specialist, and okay. I'll, I'll get to him at the end of the report. Um, Conjecture and quantification. Well, you know, actually, here, I'll do it at the, at the very beginning. So this is by Hein Gomans. He has a PhD. He's from Chicago. Uh, inter- <laughs> <laughs> uh, international relations, conflict, qualitative, and historical research. His current major research revolves around territory, borders, and homelands. In a nutshell, why are people willing to fight and die for this, but not that piece of territory? His previous research examined the role of leaders in war, termination, and war initiation. His book, War and Punishment, was published by Princeton University. His second book, Leaders in International Conflict, co-authored with Giacomo Chioso and published by Cambridge University, won the Joseph S. Lepgold Prize and the best book in international relations published in 2011. Um, Other publications have appeared in the American Political Science Review, the American Journal of Political Science, the Journal of Politics, International Organization, the Journal of Conflict Resolution, and the Journal of Peace Research. Teaches courses on international relations with an emphasis on conflict and international relations history. So, he's a pretty good source to go for, for why Putin would want to do these things. So, right from the beginning, why does Russia want Ukraine? He said, uh, so Putin wants to reestablish a Russian empire and at the same time prevent a demographic encirclement around Russia. I read his goals as twofold. This is uh, Gomez. He wants to reestablish direct or indirectly by annexion or by puppet regimes, a Russian empire, be it the former USSR or its Tsarist Russia. A second answer uh, a second possible answer has to do with the role of domestic Russian politics, which the standard literature on the conflict takes very seriously. Putin has seen what happens in some former Soviet successor republics and the former Yugoslavia, several of which experienced, quote-unquote, color revolutions and democratized. So in other words, they became democratic republics. Uh, indeed, it was a color revolution in Ukraine in 2014, which Putin mischaracterizes as a military coup. 
He wants to prevent more of these revolutions and prevent a democratic encirclement of countries around him, which could provide a safe haven for Russian dissidents who would be dangerous to Putin's political survival. Both of these goals overlap in the sense that he is seeking regime change, which is a dangerous game. As my colleagues Alexander Downess at George Washington University has recently shown. So, Putin receives a why now? Putin receives the West as weak, but is also fighting for his own political survival. Gomans moves on. One answer could be that he now feels strong enough to do it while the West appears in disarray. He doesn't want an increasingly westernized country in his backyard. Instead, he wants puppets whom he can control to protect his own domestic political position. Of course, it's not just his political position. It's also his head if he loses power. It's virtually certain that he would be prosecuted back home and would go to jail. Very bad things could happen to him, something that I think he's very aware of. What about Ukraine might have set Putin off? Ukraine represents a westernized country, I'm sorry, counter example to Russia's autocratic dictatorial system. Gomans. Ukraine is becoming more westernized, it's becoming more diverse, and has a regime that he cannot control. Over time, it sets an example for others in Russia who would like to become more democratic. It provides a counterexample to Russia's autocratic dictatorial system. You have these rows of dominoes, one color revolution after another, and at the end of the domino series is Russia. All this is dangerous for him. What are salami tactics in international relations, and how do they apply here? Gomans. Salami tactics means you ask for a little bit more and a little bit more until you have complete control. In this case, Russia over Ukraine. There's also an interlocking commitment problem here. Ukraine cannot promise not to join NATO in the long term, which Russia sees as a threat to its borders. At the same time, Russia can't compromise credibly not to ask for more if Ukraine made some concessions now, whether it be territorial concessions, regime change, or a promise not to join NATO. Is invading Ukraine a war over territory? Which is your research specialty? Gomans. Some people thought initially this would be a war over territory, essentially about the two separatist areas, and that Putin wouldn't claim much more. That's evidently not the case. It could still be considered a war over territory, but only in the sense that he wants to annex the entire Ukraine, which seems to be unlikely to succeed. It seems much more likely that he'll install a puppet regime instead. And the reason for that, from the theory of warfare and from a leader perspective, is that he does it to ensure his personal survival. What happens if Putin succeeds in Ukraine? It would represent a blatant transgression of international norms, diplomacy, and relations. Gomans. The principles of the international order would be destroyed. Such principles include territorial integrity, quote-unquote, which is something that Russia committed to Ukraine in, well, when Ukraine gave up its nuclear weapons and became independent. Essentially, Putin is flipping the bird at the West and the rest of the world. For example... He declared a military operation, quote-unquote, right at the time when the UN Security Council was meeting to discuss the crisis. Other countries, most prominently the Baltic states, but also other USSR successor republics, 
will have every reason to think they are next. If Russia is successful, the world will change and NATO will have to rearm and all other countries will have to spend more on defense. There will be rounds of arming and rearming. In this environment, even a small mistake, a glitch, a missed phone call, a mistranslation, a malfunctioning GPS can get out of hand really quickly. What do you think Putin will do if he loses in Ukraine? If Putin doesn't achieve his goals, he may pursue extremely risky actions in the hopes of staying in power. Gomans. A loss might doom his domestic, political, and physical survival in a very recent book, Catastrophic Success. Alexander Donaz suggests that these kinds of regime changes, which Putin is pursuing, often backfire badly. If, Russian, if Russia's objectives fail, Putin is really in deep trouble. As you can see today from the demonstrations in many Russian cities, there is a significant and sizable component in the Russian public that's actually willing to go outside and protect against this war, which is a very risky and extremely brave course of action. So if Putin doesn't achieve his goals, it becomes much more likely that he'll be overthrown. That's why he may do some very risky things, which is called gambling for resurrection, in the hope it'll keep him in power. I wrote about that in my first book to explain why the First World War lasted for four years, although the German leaders had already concluded in November 1914 that they couldn't win. They fought for another four years because they were afraid of domestic political punishment. The dangerous thing is that is difficult to grasp is that the West may not be able to do anything to counter the logic of gambling for resurrection. There is talk of giving Putin an off-ramp, off but that completely misses the point that Putin is afraid domestic enemies might overthrow and kill him, and there's little the West can do to address those fears. Is this the most dangerous situation since World War II? Yes, we are in a situation where Putin's quote-unquote success or failure in Ukraine both present dangerous situations. Gomez, yes, it's not just Putin possibly success that scares me. It's also the possibility of a failure for Russia. So if we're in a situation where either success or failure both present horribly dangerous situations... We're better be very careful and think very, very carefully about what we can do and perhaps what we cannot do and prepare accordingly. You don't want to corner Putin with sanctions to the extent that he feels is that he must gamble, all or nothing. The impulse, and I certainly share it, is to punish him severely. But if you punish him too severely, then you risk his doing even more dangerous things in order to protect himself personally. So it's a very difficult tightrope to walk. I'm sure that the Biden administration is aware of these things. I've been impressed with the competence shown, the careful, mature attitude, the communications, the collaboration with allies. We're almost done, guys. We're almost done. <laughs> this is the, the, last, the last section here. Oh, what else did Putin hint at in his recent very belligerent speech? Putin said that the borders drawn after World War I and World War II are illegitimate and had to go. Gomans. One thing I said in his speech, which is just stunning, is that nationalism cannot be the basis of a state. 
everybody in academia and most of the world thinks that nationalism is the justification and the basis of the state. But his speech went further than that. He said the borders that were drawn by Lenin and by Stalin partially as a result of the First and Second World War are illegitimate and have to go. And if those borders have to go, well, then there is no obvious stopping point. Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Armenia, Georgia, Moldova, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan. What's next? The new threat against Finland and Sweden to warn them off from joining NATO are also extremely concerning. Now, of course, in many of the success successor republics, Putin already has an elite which is favorably inclined toward him. He has puppets in Kazakhstan. He has puppets in Belarus and elsewhere that he can control. Leaders in these countries depend on him directly and indirectly to stay in office. So it's this whole musical chair scenario of dictators who are all afraid of losing office. In order to prop up one, Putin has to prop up all. The question is, which empire does he think needs reconstituting? Is this the Soviet Union, or is this a Tsarist Russia? And if it's the latter, and there are some, dic- some indications in his speech that he does mean the latter, then Poland and other countries are going to be justifiably worried. The end. A lot to unpack there. Yeah, right. I'm gonna yeah, need a we lot can, more alcohol to unpack. We can uh, we can chew on that for a little bit. <laughs> so, yeah, there's there's definitely a lot, and and obviously this guy has uh, a doctor for a reason. He's very well said, um, very well thought out, and mm-hmm. there's there is so much in this article. That's why I really really wanted to read the whole thing because there's so much in here to to talk about. There is, and surprisingly, there's some that I agree with. I'm surprised by that. <laughs> And then some that I don't. But, uh, <laughs> well, let's hear the parts that you don't, because mm-hmm. that's that makes for very interesting radio. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I think in general, what I don't agree with uh, is that we're we're trying to point out in Putin the very same thing that we've been practicing here in American foreign policy for I don't know since nine eleven. Okay. Uh, so I I don't feel like we are the moral authority. Okay. the rest of the world and judging any one leader. I'm, I'm not saying what he's doing is right or wrong. I'm sure there's a lot of wrong things that he's doing that he's been doing. I'm not even going into that argument. But what I'm saying is I don't know if America has the moral authority anymore <laughs> to really judge another person for the same thing that we've been doing in foreign policy for I don't know how long. Yeah. So that's my, so that's, we can get the ball rolling that way if you want. Well, that's, that's well said. That's well said. There's, um, I think it's good that we're working with other countries on this and that there's a, a conciliar movement so that that way it's not on one country because I do think that it would be wrong for any one country to police the world, right? So Exactly, yeah. So I, I always found that one uh, map hysterical about Russia. You know, when, first of all, every other, every other country puts out propaganda, not America, right? We don't put out any propaganda. Every other country does. But I seen this map drawn up and it says, look how much Putin wants war. And there's NATO and U.S. bases all around Russia. But look how much he wants war. So, I mean, the game is on both sides. Absolutely. And we're playing chess and we got a deal and we got to kind of decipher and shuffle through a lot of uh, 
you know, angles and biases and, you know, so it, it, it is interesting. I, I, I'm not saying that what he's doing is right or wrong. Um, but I think Ukraine, didn't it historically belong to Russia? It was part of the USSR. Uh, no, I mean, even before the USSR. Oh, yeah, that was, actually, there's a fun map I can show you guys. I can actually. Theo, are you there still? You. Is Theo there? Yeah, I'm still here. Oh, you're okay. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> so, you haven't lost me. Okay, good. I'm just checking. I'm just God, checking. Is that you? He's <laughs> <laughs> got an awesome voice, man. Theo's got that. that he has a very good radio voice. I know. <laughs> so, there we go. So, there's the, there's the Russian Tarist Empire ah, before World War One. Yeah. So, Yes, it was all really yeah. part of that. The article never once mention, mentions, you know, Ukraine and the, is it the Black Sea that's next to it? How it's rich in mineral resources, too? Not only that, but uh, the Black Sea also provides, if I remember correctly, the only warm seaport, um, the, the only warm seaport for military-wise, na- uh, naval base, that Russia has. Right. True. But I'm, I'm sure, Sam, I'm, I'm sure you have some thoughts on this. Oh, boy. All right. So, first of all, the first thing that came to my mind when I was listening to uh, the monologue was um, this was the perfect opportune time because he thinks that the West is weak. Hmm. And absolutely, the West thinks that the West is weak. <laughs> okay. I mean, j- just look back to the, the Trump years when, when Trump went to a, a NATO summit and said, y'all aren't paying your fair share. We're policing the world. We're paying all this money towards our military, and y'all aren't paying your fair share. We're paying upwards of 4 5 6%, and they're paying less than 1% into this NATO alliance, and that everyone hates that America is policing the world, that we're going into all these territories, that we have all these... Um, military establishments like right on the border of Russia and all these other aggressive countries which I I understand you know these are aggressive countries but honestly who has been the more aggressive party we were able to completely exchange and, and install a NATO friendly member into Ukraine Ukraine is a puppet Ukraine is a proxy war. Mm. And no matter what, because uh, who was it before uh, Zelensky? It was Gorbachev? No, not Gorbachev. Um, hold on. Torshenko? Torshenkov, yes, thank you. Gorbachev, who, what, what was I thinking? I'm sorry. Thinking back to the glory days, Sam. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. I know I just had a white Russian, but calm down. Uh-huh. Anyways. <laughs> True colors. <laughs> Anyways. So, honestly, who did draw first blood when it came to pushing this installment of influence? We are bordering Russia on the northern half when it comes to NATO. And we are pushing to install a southern um, siege into Russia's uh, southern border. So I understand Russia's point of view. I don't agree with it, but I do understand it. Mm. 
not only that, but maybe, maybe uh, something that you mentioned upon was maybe he's going for the whole of Ukraine. It may be that it's a big ask. He's asking, he's doing a big ask. He's taking the entire country and then during uh, suing for peace, he may ask for only half. Mm. Who knows? But you also have to think about where uh, the geography of Ukraine Ukraine actually literally means the flatlands. It used to be called the Ukraine. After they became um, independent, they dropped the the and just became Ukraine. Cool. Awesome. But after, uh, on the west side of Ukraine is the mountains. Um, What mountain is that? I can't remember. I don't remember either. All right. (laughs) Mountains. It doesn't matter what kind of mountains or mountains. But it makes it... Tall ones. (laughs) They're at least taller than 10 feet, that's for sure, which is taller than what I can clamber on. But it it doesn't matter. Um, The point is, it makes uh, the terrain much harder to pass. So he he has NATO on to the north, already making it very uncomfortable. And then he has Ukraine, which borders the capital of Russia which is Moscow, if I remember correctly. So now you have NATO right next door to your capital. How would that make you feel? How would you feel if if all of a sudden Russia was talking to Canada and Canada started becoming very, very, very friendly with Russia saying, you know, I think we may join the USSR. You know, this, this seems like a good idea. I, I, I think we're going to go for it. Because Russia installed a new leader that was very pro-Russia in Canada. You think for one second that U.S. would be okay with that? That the U.S. would not do something to stop that from happening? Yeah. Is that a rhetorical question? (laughs) It could be. I mean, we are on a podcast, so I guess it could be discussed. (laughs) I hear your points. Yeah. And... and... (sighs) So my my biggest problem with Russia is it's it's such a blatant. Um, I mean, it, the whole country's run by oligarchs. Let's let's face it. I mean, oh, like like the U.S. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But even more so, like because at, at least our hide. <laughs> um, it, it Putin himself on paper. So Fortune magazine did a really nice job on trying to figure out exactly who. Putin actually is. So I want to go over some of these st- stats with you because they did a really nice breakdown. Hey, Keith, so you, you got any feedback on the, the article, the first article? Uh, I mean, actually, it's interesting listening to the different perspectives. And my conclusion is if Ukraine versus Russia was an am I the asshole post on Reddit, the answer would be ESH, everybody sucks here. Beep. <laughs> 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 Which more seriously means it kind of sucks everywhere in the world. It's like, holy crap, we're going to be facing, you know, some extent, some impact of death and destruction and war, no matter where we are. Yeah. Because we do this crap, they do this crap. Yeah. We can't come to any resolution. We're going to be fighting it forever. That, yeah, that's exactly how I was feeling, though. I mean, like, you know, because the guy brought up several times in the article the word color revolutions. I'm like, are you kidding me? That's been American foreign policy in the Middle East for how long now? That's true. Like, how are we throwing that stone? How can we not see the plank in our own eye there? Which the wars in the Middle East were proxy wars with, you know it, Russia. Right, exactly. So, 
I, I, that's been American foreign policy. So the fact that we're trying to just pin that on him now as if he's the bad, you know, I, for me, it's like, man, we're chasing the next terrorist. We need another, we need another evil guy to go after. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, speaking of that, um, speaking of policy too, Biden had just announced that there is a change in nuclear policy that he is willing and able to use mini nukes. Uh, nuclear bombs as a deterrent it's a joke he doesn't even know what toilet paper he's using <laughs> he, he he was telling troops in poland that they were going to be in ukraine's last week so you know as you were saying in, in the article uh that anything can really set this off a uh a, a president of the united states the the world police if you will is asleep at the wheel set, telling us that you know we're, we're going to be invading Ukraine, or, or invading, you know, into the territory, and anything can really set it off? <laughs> well, I mean, to be clear, Putin himself has uh, inferred using nuclear weapons, so... Well, as as pretty much the entire article pointed out, when you're backed against the wall and you're surviving, when you're fighting for your own life, I mean, I can't I say I blame him, but I, I as much to... as, you know... His own people are actually saying, you know, he needs to. Oh, I was just going to say, Theo, you got any thoughts on that article Aaron read? Well, to riff off of what Sam's saying, I'm just curious, you know, on, on one sense, it's, you know, like the my neighbors to the north <laughs> will say, you know, each country should be sovereign and choose what it wants. And I know. Biden's recent remarks that Putin needs to be removed from power has uh, escalated things on some sense, uh, the debate or whatever. Uh, but, you know, should Putin be allowed to choose who's in control of Ukraine? Uh, should Russia have power to decide where Ukraine falls? Is this like the Taiwan, uh, you know, relationship going on there? Uh, if when I'm when I'm listening to this article, I'm wondering is is Putin losing legitimacy in his own country? I mean, I don't think it's up to America to look for regime change in Russia. I'm wondering if the Russians are looking for it, and Putin's trying to hang on to power. Is that what the article is inferring that that Putin is doing this because he's losing power even in his own? And I think it's up to each you know, nation, if, if they want to elect Trump or they want to elect Biden, that's what we believe as, as Americans, that it should be up to the people to decide. Um, And I don't think he's allowed the Ukrainians to decide what they want to do. And the article seems to be implying that Putin is on his way out and he's just trying to hang on. And I don't know, you know, again, the propaganda. Yeah, we're the cat <laughs> calling, you know, it's just ridiculous. America being able to, to actually act like they've got the moral high ground. But I didn't like what was said earlier. Mm-hmm. At least America is having dialogue with the rest of the world on this. Yes. And all all the nations of the world have their hands dirty. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter who you talk to. So, yeah. but at the same time. Can all the others say Russia's gone too far? But yeah. Ukraine has a history of being corrupt itself, so it's it's really tough here. It does, it does. And there's um, 
In fact, uh, Zelensky, it's inferred. I can't show you proof of this, but uh, in doing my research, it is inferred that, uh, oh, what's his name? It's a really fun Ukrainian name. Uh, <laughs> They're all fun. Kolomoisty, I believe it was. Kolomoisty. Anyway, um, it, it, he's a multi-billionaire. He lives in, uh, in Israel because he was kind of chased out of Russia. But it's inferred that he's the one that actually financially backed um, Zelensky to help him become a president. So, and he has a slightly checkered past as well. I don't know if it's as bad as the other oligarchs, but um, the fact that he was chased out by other oligarchs, kind of. <laughs> so... Theo articulates, uh, or helps, uh, at least helped me articulate something that was kind of on the tip of my tongue, which is that if there potentially could be a good guy in all this, it could be the concept of self-determination. But I think one of the reasons why the West is weak, in particular America, is our concept of what is even self-determination and who even has it has really been compromised. I mean, Russia clearly isn't self-determining that Putin's in power. But meanwhile, in America, we don't really have full self-determination of who our president or who is who, what the composition of our Congress. Yeah, yeah. Um, how many countries really do? Yeah. And obviously, you you know, Ukraine. I, I'm not going to dispute the point that Ukraine is a puppet state for the West. I mean, for better or for worse. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we will approach that after the break. If you ever wanted to train Muay Thai, perhaps there's no gyms near you. Perhaps you work odd hours. Perhaps. Like a few of us, you don't like germs. Whichever way it goes, you can train online with some of the best instructors from around the country, either live or in class with other students. Living Muay Thai gives you the chance to do all of this and much more. So jump into live classes and on demand right now, livingmuaythai.com. Hey, it's Gumby here from Bible Over Brews. Are you looking to get some editing done in your podcast? Maybe you don't have the hours or time it takes to edit your content, but you still need to get it done. Maybe you need a customized track or a song for your podcast or your next project without having to worry about copyright issues. Well, look no further than soulworkmusic.com, where this footwork is done for you. I'll get that editing post-production work done right for you, or create you that customized song that fits your project or podcast to help support your life's work. If this sounds like what you need, reach out to me at soulworkmusic.com. Again, at soulworkmusic.com. And remember, there's nothing taboo over brew. I mean, it, it is definitely a um, sticky. a pawn in between the two. Um, it, being an American, um, I, I do tend to side with the with our side of the argument and NATO. Um, and again, you have a conciliar movement with several different countries, you know, all of NATO and the United States and other countries, even outside of NATO, that are now helping as well, um, showing that there is a conciliar effort inside of this to not let the USR, USSR or its Tsarist state grow once again. Um, with Russia being the largest country in the world, it, it makes sense that you need those checks and balances. Hmm. So, so one of the ways, and, and I'm, I'm kind of 
in, in to myself arguing with myself about this because it kind of works, but it's really a broken analogy with it. But I kind of view it as the same sort of like fight for independence that America had that with the 13 colonies, you know, put, put Russia as the UK and put America as Ukraine, that America had the right to self-determination, that America had the right to be its own country. And that there was a, a, a larger, stronger government body, country, whatever you want to call it, that said, no, you are mine and you will always be mine. But then you had all these other countries that would help out. I think namely the French, uh, France, uh, helped America during the American Revolution yep. to become independent. And so if, if you try and reach for that kind of analogy, because it is a bit of a reach, when you have that, I can kind of understand the whole point of, yes, that is their territory territory or at least it was at one point they have a a reason for wanting it back they have a, a costus belly but at the same time they do have that choice that self-determination that reason to fight for ver- for their own un- independence yeah yeah and we did help rush our uh, uh the french later so yes <laughs> and didn't we fight the french at one point too i don't know <laughs> we did <laughs> I don't yeah. think, From um, this side of the world, the perspective might be when uh, the uh, Indians were able to try to, you know, deal with the post-World War II and get rid of the British. And uh, Gandhi wanted one India. Mm. And yet, you know, it broke into parts. We have uh, what is now Bangladesh on the eastern side, and you have Pakistan on the western side. And India and Pakistan are constantly fighting each other. And, you know, even the nationalistic uh, politics of India uh, in the last decade uh, has seen some very egregious things by the Indian government against the Islamic population uh, within India to to even further divide people. And it's like Gandhi's dream was one India, almost in the sense that Putin wants one you know, this group that, that Gumby was, was angling after when he said his first comments about this article. And I can kind of understand that. But then when you see what the current administration has done to the people, you're, you're wondering, you know, um, if that's a good idea. Because even in a country like India, they're not getting the proper protections. And they should. And then that, that that's just... You know, the Muslims, we're not even talking about what happens to Christians. And so that, that becomes very d- difficult. And so you're, you're wondering, like, this Donbass region, and I don't know, yeah. there was rhetoric about uh, Putin uh, or Russia pulling back from Kiev and now going to focus on the east. But then when Biden made his comments, they bombed in the west. So I'm not sure you know, how old this article you read is in the analysis and what's changed and if anything, uh, 
in the last weekend. I'm not sure. So, uh, you know, because he's still bombing in the West and I don't understand what's going on. So I'm not sure. Do we really know what Putin wants? I'm, I don't know, you know, because he may be his version of the, of things like Gandhi wanted one India, but it's just not going to work out when you have people in power that are less than ideal and make less than ideal choices. And it causes those who are in the minority to be persecuted and it's, it's not good, you know? Yeah. So I would be more comfortable if the leaders themselves held themselves to their own standards, because this stream dream <laughs> away, this, this, this Russian oligarchy that powers all of this. I mean, all of them are, are, are multi-billionaires. If you look at them, they have, tell us about some oligarchs. Yeah, some good oligarch. <laughs> Bring it on. Well, it's funny you say that. So. Right. We got DuPont. We got, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so Fortune Magazine actually had to assess and figure out what Putin's actually worth. So. What he's actually worth? Yeah. Oh, okay. So Ooh, anyone want to do some guesses beforehand? All right, in U.S. dollar, Gumby, what do you think? Uh, what do you think Putin's worth? Uh, you know, a lot of that. I just come on, throw out a number. Throw out a number, but it means nothing. Yeah, of course, It means nothing. I'm gonna say what three billion? Okay, first one, Keith. Oh, I wanted to go last so I could bet one dollar, but <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna guess he's it's greatly overinflated. Like I'm guessing he's got like the Donald Trump thing going on where he like says he's got mm-hmm. like four billion, but it's actually like three hundred million. All right, it's, even that's highly leveraged. I'm just go with that. Well, I was gonna say three hundred million, oh. but <laughs> three hundred and one million. <laughs> uh, no, um, probably like six. Uh, no, seven hundred and yeah, seven hundred million. All right, all right, all right. Theo, got a guess. Well, I was guessing maybe he might get close to being the billionaire club somewhere, somehow. All right, all right. right, One billion dollars. So according to Fortune's uh, assessment, and they went through and they went through all of his possible assets because Russia denies some of them, but they're kind of hard to deny. Mm. So on paper, Russian President Vladimir Putin seems like a humble statesman with a modest income. The Kremlin claims that Putin earns an annual salary of $140,000. Sounds like Biden. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. His publicly disclosed assets include an 800-foot apartment, a trailer, and and three cars. (laughs) Oh, my God. Again, never ends. Got a trailer. (laughs) For his horse when he goes bare. And his tiger. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So, but according to some experts, get this, he may be the wealthiest man in the world with assets totaling up to $200 billion. No, I doubt it. Now, hold on, hold on. There ain't that much money in Russia. Hold on. Listen, listen before, before you say anything. Listen. Okay. Well, that is a ridiculous amount of money for anyone to have. This figure may not be so far-fetched for Putin. Here's why. Putin is often seen sporting high-end luxury watches that are retailed for multiple times his supposed annual income. He has been pictured wearing a Patek Philippe's perpetual calendar watch worth $60,000 and allegedly owns, because it's been seen on camera, a $500,000 A-Long and Sontubragov 
as well as other fancy designs. What, you don't have that? <sighs> it, it, it wasn't... Like five of those. It, all, that, all that proves is he spends five years of salary on a watch. It wasn't, it wasn't at Walmart. It was a gift. <laughs> Uh, Putin is rumored but to be the owner of a beautiful 190,000 square foot mansion sitting atop a cliff that mm-hmm. overlooks, now mind you, it's because these have been seen in pictures and videos, uh, over the Black Sea. This coastal property is reputed as the largest private residence in the country and serves as his private palace enduringly, enduringly called Putin's Country Cottage. The estate is Putin's playland, boasting frescoed ceilings, a marble swimming pool lined with states, <laughs> statues of Greek gods, a 27,000-square-foot guesthouse, spas with traditional hammams, a musical parlor dressing rooms for all of his staff, wow. an amphitheater, a state-of-the-art ice hockey rink, a Vegas-style casino, a nightclub equipped with stripper poles, a barroom showcasing more than $100,000 of wine and spirits, an underground tasting room overlooking the water, and much more. Eat your heart out, Epstein. <laughs> Most of the mansion is reportedly decorated by an ex- by an exclusive luxury Italian brand called Citario Atina, including Louis the Fourteenth style sofas, five hundred thousand dollar in dining room furniture, and a fifty four thousand dollar bar table. It even has decked out bathrooms with fancy eight hundred and fifty dollar Italian toilet brushes. And one thousand two hundred and fifty dollar toilet paper holders. On top of all the extravagant furnishings, and an annual two million is spent just to maintain the property landscaping by a forty person staff. The Black Sea Mansion was designed by Italian architect Lanfranco Serio and cost one point four billion to construct. According to a Reuters investigation, the money for this extravagant project was supposedly laundered through the country's 1.3 trillion ruble rational project called Health, quote-unquote. <laughs> also known as Build Back Better. <laughs> <laughs> In which the state bought expensive medical equipment from a company owned by Putin's friends Shimalov and Gorlov at a much higher rate than the market price. Records show that the two men sent around... Five, 56 million to Swiss bank accounts of a Belize company. Then the, the Belize account transferred approximately 48 million to an account controlled by the Medea Investment Company, controlled by Surio himself. Moscow Times reports that Shamalov, Gorlov, and Surio all denied the allegations. The Kremlin denies Putin's ownership of the palace, saying it belongs to a wealthy businessman that they won't name. <laughs> But Russian analysts call it a blatant lie, saying that no businessmen can have properties guarded by the FSB, the Russia's Federal Security Service, with a no-fly zone over it. Hmm. Apart from the Black Sea Mansion and 19 other houses and 700 cars, Putin supposedly has a collection of 58 aircraft and helicopters, including a $716 million plane called the Flying Kremlin. That has a toilet. <laughs> that has a toilet. Why does he suck so bad at naming stuff? Come the heck on! <laughs> you gotta have one. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> they're like a bag of potato chips. You can't just have one. That <laughs> <laughs> has a toilet made of gold. Not surprisingly, considering his taste for grandiose neoclassical architecture, 
and to keep his options open by land, air, or sea, he also has a $100 million mega yacht designed by a nuclear submarine maker from the Russian Navy. Mm. It doesn't sound like a never poorly tanned present that we had. Not at all. <laughs> Sounds like Benny Hinn, man. Come on, that's not that bad, Aaron. <laughs> it's an evangelical's uh, salary. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the $200 billion figure was estimated by financier Bill Browder, who, in a testimony to the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee in 2017, said that Putin amassed most of his wealth after a Moscow court-jailed oligarch Mikhail Khodorkovsky in 2003 for fraud and tax evasion. I remember that. Uh-huh. After Kordogovsky conviction, the other oligarchs went to Putin and asked him what they needed to do to avoid sitting in the same cage as Kordogovsky. From what followed, it appeared that Putin's answer was 50%. He wasn't saying 50% for the Russian government or the presidential administration of Russia, but 50% for Vladimir Putin personally. Ooh. On top of all this, the famous Panama Papers revealed a network of secret offshore deals and loans worth $2 billion pointing to Putin in 2016. But of course, the Vladimir denies all these allegations, only admitting to a different forms of riches. Quote, I am the wealthiest man, not just in Europe, but in the whole world. I collect emotions. I am wealthy. <laughs> I am... I am wealthy, and that the people of Russia have twice entrusted me with the leadership of a great nation, See? such as Russia. I believe that is my greatest wealth. See, he's Unquote. humble. <laughs> all right, all right. So, I have two two jokes about that. Okay. <laughs> Number one, 50% for Putin sounds like 10% for the big guy. Number two... Oh, boy. <laughs> I can't... <laughs> Just why? <laughs> that was probably the, le- the lamest quote of all time. Didn't I hear that he had multiple families? Well, I haven't heard that. I mean, one. if he has like several wives, I kind of believe two hundred million. I mean, it takes a lot. That does take a lot. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, all right, all right. This was my second one. Sorry, okay. I, I, honestly, I totally forgot what it was. <laughs> second one was uh, my favorite quote from Bernie Sanders. If if you sell a bestseller book, you too can have two mansions. <laughs> Thank you, our democratic socialist, for uh, telling us about capitalism. <laughs> and despite all the paper trails and testimony stacked against him, the Russian president continues his charade of being a dutiful bureaucrat with a simple, beautiful, middle-class life. To build back better. <laughs> so i mean and mind you and there's links in all of these I, I included um the paper trail on his fortune is actually vast there is a ton of ways to track his personal wealth the man is not hurting his grandkids 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 will be multimillionaires. come on man <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean probably not that's true. Yeah. I remember a line from uh, the movie The Patriot. You guys, you remember that? Uh, where they're trying to get Mel Gibson. I don't remember his name in the movie, but trying to chorus him to join the war and join the cause. And he said, you know, I should I trade one king for a thousand kings here? So when I think about Putin, 
And like, yeah, he's probably guilty of all those things. Like most politicians and most oligarchs are who get to high, the highest office. Yeah. But we have so many of that here. We have so much of that here. Oh, we do. We have a corporatocracy. So so I don't know if I'm saying that right, but. Yeah. It's an oligarchy. Right. I mean, hey, that's, that's what we have. It sounds like you have information leading to Hillary Clinton's arrest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little worried about you, man. You feeling okay? You feeling sad? <laughs> No, no, I agree. I agree. He's, he's playing the game, of course. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, just like I, I love when uh, these, <laughs> I love when a, a couple of our right wing people step up and they're like, "Well, this wouldn't have happened under Trump." Do you know the honest truth? The honest. I was going to say that later. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so you know the honest reason why, right? Oh, absolutely. Go ahead. Because thirteen of the oligarchs lived or still live. In Trump Towers. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh-huh. That's a lot of Russian oligarch neighbors for the average Trump Tower resident. I yeah. Mean, that would just be remarkable. Like, you look to your left and there's a, there's a Russian oligarch. And then, uh-huh. Right. They didn't have to invade during that time. Now, now <laughs> to his credit, to his credit. Now, there's, there, this is where there's some misinformation. I do have to correct this. People will say, well, if you read the Mueller report, it shows that Trump's guilty. Well, that's not true. That is actually not true. I actually do have the, the Mueller report on several forms, and I have been going through it. And guess what? It doesn't say he's guilty. Okay, so he is. <laughs> well, on top of this, um, it, Wait, oh, by the way, by the way, yeah. she was right before the Russian invasion. She was indicted and found guilty of being the con- co- uh, the conspirator of the Mueller report and everything that had to do with the Russian <laughs> investigation. Right, but you know, who ever heard of that? There's another bigger thing going on right now. Right. Let's bury that. <laughs> right, I want to live. Pizzagate. Uh. Pizzagate. <laughs> so, I mean, the Mueller part actually does not say that Trump is guilty. It does say that they were using Trump. So they were using him. But it does not say that he was guilty. It does not say that he was even in, in contact with them during all of this. Okay. But it does say that he was a pawn in their scheme. Um. Actually, the two people that they list that they liked in the report, according to um, the information that came back from the the Russians, they liked uh, Trump and they liked Sanders. Those are the two people that they um, had coordinated. Uh, Interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They had coordinated uh, admirations, let's say, in, uh, in different um, uh, Facebook groups. Inside different uh, different media propagandas, uh, so those are the two people they supported were uh, Trump and Sanders. Well, I mean, l- look at it this way. I mean, Hillary Clinton during during the presidential debates, during before the presidential debates, she was a war hawk. She was one of the proponents of the proxy wars in the Middle East. She was all for attacking Russia and uh, proponent for just extending this fight versus. Trump, who said, end the wars, bring back the troops from the Middle East. What are we even doing there? He literally said on TV, oh, you know, we're just going to leave. We're going to leave a couple troops in the Middle East to protect the oil. He literally called out what exactly our plan was in the Middle East. It was for the oil. <laughs> yeah. It's oh. going to be great. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all know he couldn't keep his mouth shut when he a secret, so. <laughs> yeah. He didn't have to say it out loud. I mean, we all knew, but geez. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, he 
Yeah, he, he said it out loud. He said exactly what they're trying to say. No, 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 we're not trying to do that. I promise. But yep. he was just like, oh, yeah, it's going to be great. We're going to bomb them. We're going to drop Moabs. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be the greatest bombs of all time, I promise you. <laughs> and, and Putin, if you attack anybody, we're going to drop a bomb on Moscow. <laughs> <laughs> He was a bull in China shop. <laughs> what 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 better way is there? I mean, of course, of course, Russia is gonna like that. Like they're gonna be like, heck yeah, come like, on in. Yeah, we're doing what we want now. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But during his entire presidency, we had nothing, no no worries about Russia. He was able to talk with Russia, shake his hand. He was able to talk to to um Kim Jong Un, shake his hand, walk into North Korea. And you not not get black hooded. Yeah. And house them. And house them. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he was able because understanding power, respecting power is not the same as committing and just bowing down to power. Like I understand the whole concept. I hope I understand the whole concept of respecting power versus being aligned with power. Yes, Trump was not a good guy morally, but when it came to foreign policy, especially compared to what we have right now, oh, I would take Trump every every decade. Uh, nope, I wouldn't. But I don't. I, I well, don't. Want, I don't understand. Want I hear what you're saying, Sam. <laughs> That's another podcast. But do you think? Right? Do you think uh, that would actually change our foreign policy if? Trump was in office right now? In or? general, in the big picture. I mean, does that really change what we've been doing here in terms of American policy for, I don't know, let's say the past 40, 50 years, regardless, Democrat or, you know, Republican? I'm not sure what you're getting at. Well, what I'm getting at is that, you know, I, I think our foreign policy really hasn't changed regardless of who's in office. We've been in perpetual war for I don't know how long. Yeah. Okay. So in, in regards to that, if I, I if uh, Trump was in office right now, I think it would be totally vastly different. Um, I, I think that our foreign policy drastically changed under Trump and that... Um, which war ended? Which war ended was um, wars in Afghanistan, wars in Iraq, like trying to get all these troops home. He was lied to. In order to keep tra- keep troops there in the Middle East, he ended or he mitigated. Um, all right, yes, right. yeah, because, because there's no ending to it. Because you know, no matter what, until until that treaty is signed, until actually he did tr- uh, sign a treaty with North Korea, didn't he? He, he signed a peace treaty with North Korea, ish. I think there was something yes, signed. Yeah. Yes. No matter what, bombs, you know, no, no matter what, North Korea exactly. still has to save face exactly. that you know Kim Jong Un, who is a dictator, exactly. has to save face and say, you know, I'm the greatest. I was able to make the, the West stand down. Of course, of course. But but didn't he was work. Made, able to make inroads. Sorry, it, go ahead. Did well, like he was like he, Keith was saying, didn't stick. <laughs> well, I guess my 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 larger point is that you know American foreign policy for me seems like two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and it's ir- left it's wing, right wing, same bird, irrespective yeah. of you know the names we want to put them in. It just well, you know, didn't didn't you just say in the Mueller report that they used Trump 
Yes. You know, so even if Trump was actually trying to be different, you know, and he loves America, they were still able to manipulate him and do what they want. But you, you know? just said something so, right there. Yeah. Trump actually loves America. Can you say yeah. that about any other politician? So how much how he much does the president actually every every <laughs> oh last gosh, four years Dad convinces oh me that the P tape exists. Every time he talks about it, like I think that sums up his uh, foreign policy with Russia. <laughs> the, the P-tape. Let, let's recap that real quick. <laughs> so the P tape was a four- <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Keith. Actually it was it was quite literally a 4chan anti Trumper who posted saying that there is something about a uh, Trump being in an elevator or, or no, no, um, no, no, he, he was, uh, Russia had a video of uh, two ladies of the night <clears throat> peeing on top of a bed in a Russian embassy. I think, no, not Russian embassy, uh, American embassy. And that it was video recorded by Russia and that it was able to, um, they were able to blackmail him, right? There is absolutely zero evidence of that. Yeah, I I wouldn't. The only evidence is that every time he talks about it, he sounds like that guy in a movie who's talking about the thing that he's definitely guilty of. Like, he's not guilty. (laughs) Like, like, oh, what? No, I, I think P is gross. Like... Why would I ever pee on a bed? That's just unsanitary. Like he just keeps going on and on about it. Why would <laughs> I ever? I mean, be, why would I ever but, be on Epstein's plane doing that? <laughs> it, it, it's the same thing as like he keeps on going on about Rosie O'Donnell. It's like why do you keep talking about Rosie O'Donnell? But he didn't pee on Rosie O'Donnell. Why would me and Bill Gates? It's just that he always we should have always a goes line. over and over the same things, and it's like, I know. dude, move past it already. Yeah, they're mood talking, but. It's it's the same thing when when it comes to oh it, it this negative proves that he's thinking about it, that and because he's thinking about it it proves it's true it's like no but Trump wouldn't be Trump if he wasn't talking about himself so I mean true <laughs> I, I cannot that is deny a good that point one I mean, when you're talking about the P tape if you're Trump you're talking about yourself it's a win win I mean <laughs> uh, what what is it called what? um bad bad uh. Bad coverage or, or any coverage is good coverage or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Theo, you're gonna say? I'm just getting back to Gumby's point. I, I think <laughs> you know it doesn't matter. You know who's in office because it's the same thing. Thank you for that. And I'm wondering, does it really matter? I mean, look what's happening to Ukraine. All the people are suffering. Yeah, that's, sure, that's, that's true. I guess. That, that's yeah. true. I guess yeah, Russia is going to come in. I mean, I guess the West will come in and rebuild or whatever. That's what we do, right? We bomb everything, rebuild it, bomb it again, rebuild it, bomb it again, rebuild it. Yeah. You know, I don't understand. So it doesn't matter who's in power, whether it's West, East, right, left. Yeah. We get the same thing. <clears throat> you know, I, I deal with. Uh, a lot of people who, who uh, in biblical studies read, oh, you know, Rus in the Bible, and this is prophecy, and we we did all this with the Soviets, now we're doing it again, and it's all coming to fulfillment, and trying to explain that this is just, we did this 100 years ago. We did two mm-hmm. world wars, the Great Depression, the Spanish flu. We're doing it all again, and we haven't learned how to better ourselves, yeah. and it's wow. pretty sad. And there's people all over the world. I mean, you guys are experiencing inflation, but it's tough for you to go to the gas station 
But over here, it's really tough because everything's gone up so significantly. And this deal with Ukraine has made it just so much terrible around the world for for common people to get items because the the increase of gas prices and you have like india and pakistan over here is it's it's wonderful to listen to the dialogue so you have like people complaining about pakistan going to visit russia you know and and their prime minister sitting with the with putin on the eve or the or right after he attacks you know and then he's pointing out but you know if you say something against us what about india they just bought a bunch of gas petrol oil from russia sorry they just bought a bunch of uh, uh, gas from russia you know and and you know because they're against china then you can't say anything against india but then you can against pakistan it doesn't matter yeah. you talk yeah. about color revolution it doesn't matter the color of whoever the party or politician talked to as gumby pointed out it seems like it's the same story no matter which country you go to no matter who's in power it's the same story and we're all messed up over and over again and yeah. and we're not getting any further and people are suffering around the world because of this and people in ukraine are suffering and is this putin just wanting to i, I need you know crimea i need to, to get to that sea i need to you know this is for business you know what is this I, it, you know is it an epstein is it just you know having a party and i don't care the outcome and i don't care what happens and it finally catches up to him and he commits suicide and is that what's going to happen to putin and he's finally going to get caught in the end of this if he is the world's richest person i don't know it just it doesn't make any sense and you know yeah. it's terrible you not, know it's terrible not only that but what happens after putin is gone I mean, who, who's going to take that power vacuum? Who's going to have that, you know, quote unquote, two hundred billion dollars mm. in riches? Yeah. It, it's just going to be more of the same, no matter who's in power. Right. Yeah. Right. No, it's so true. I agree with you, um, Theo. I mean, the Ukrainian people will be the victims, and I believe the Russian people in general, just your ordinary Russian people, will be the victims too. Yeah. On on top of that, like, there's so much anti-Russian sentiment right now just which is know. ridiculous when you see them banning russian uh you know russian everything yeah here i'm like come on stop it I, I i had i had to drink some vodka tonight just just uh not to be pro-putin because obviously i know it may not sound like it's wait tonight. we know you're not pro-putin because stolichnaya is made over in st louis thank you <laughs> thanks but i am definitely by no means pro-putin but I had drinks and vodka tonight because you know what? The Russian people are not the issue. Yeah, right. Um, have, have you guys ever Don't seen... make the vodka. <laughs> there's actually... Uh, there's Wait, you say he does? <laughs> no, no. There's Russians stepping up and... and... Probably has a distillery. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. There's Russians stepping up and, and protesting this. There was a, a lady recently who was arrested because she went on the news and held up a sign saying, don't believe the propaganda. They're lying to you. And now she's in court. Luckily, she's a personality. So they was that America? They couldn't was just, that Russia? They couldn't just kill her. What, <laughs> what country was that? That was in Russia. Oh, okay. Yeah, she was, she was, uh, she was a, uh, a Russian news anchor. Hmm. And she stepped up during a broadcast. It was somebody else's news segment. And she wrote out. Well, it was uh, nice knowing her. Yeah, and she wrote, she wrote the whole thing out. You know, don't believe what they're saying. It's propaganda. Uh, protest this war. And she stood, and she held the sign up, walked right out, and it's into somebody else's, uh, into somebody else's segment. 
Wow. And luckily, she is a personality, so now she's in a court battle. If she had been anybody else, then... <laughs> have, have you guys is, ever seen is that what? Is that what we 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 have? You know, we we've been talking uh, to paint paint the whole picture again with Gumby's brush. I guess uh, you know, uh, I, I'm just amazed that you know, like the coronavirus, COVID, and then all the the persecution uh, against Asians in America, like you know, because you know, it came from Wuhan, you know, and did it really, you know. So now we're anti-cancel culture Russians, you know, and, and the rich keep on getting richer and they just keep yeah. on ruling and they, they get us to fight these caste wars among ourselves mm-hmm. and they get us to hate Russians now. And we never get to the, the, the problem is the people in power are staying in power and they're just moving around their wealth. Yeah. And and we're playing along, you know, and we're 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 siding, you know, like uh, Major League Baseball just had this strike, you know. We're just like, you know, is it the owners? Is it the players? What about the fans? Uh, it, it's the same story. I keep seeing all these news stories, whether it's Ukraine or the Major League Baseball strike or COVID. It's the same story. We're we're constantly uh, wrestling in the mud with each other, and we're fighting each other as humans. And the rich are just, you know, loving it. You know, we're entertainment for them, you know, and they're just walking over the top of us and they're they're making their billions of dollars and we're we're buying into it, you know, uh, whether it be Trump or whether it be Biden or whether it be Bernie or whether it be whoever, you know, uh, I'm starting to feel the burn. <laughs> you know, I'm, starting to, I'm starting to feel that, that you really don't care about us, you know, sell another book, you know, I, it, it, you know, you're just making money. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. And we just keep going the same route and we keep dancing the same dance and then our children dance that dance and mm. the world turns around and it doesn't get any better i don't know we need a better way it's just not, it's not happening amen to that well, we're gonna hit the next part of our segment where we're going to approach the faith side of it because there is a faith side of this oh good join us in part two for the rest of the conversations. 